This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Probably a good thing anyway, because Oswaldo Cabrera, Oswald Peraza, having them together, making the, you know, a little confusing. So good for Anthony Volpe. And here's what I'll say about this. Now, a lot of obviously layers to it as we are, we've now reached opening week here. I know it's an opening day coming on Thursday uh, for Major League Baseball, but officially now Monday morning here at 2 a.m., uh, on the fan, we get ready for the Mets and Yankees to actually open up, which is hard to believe that it's here after all these months and days and spring and going through all this nonsense and meaningless baseball and the WBC, all this other stuff. And now we're here with opening day, you know, just a few days away. But for Volpe, it is a great story. You know, local kid, okay, I personally don't care where anybody comes from. Like, does it really matter as long as he's good? I think it adds a little, okay, yeah, he's a local kid, great. Okay, nice nice story, but ultimately it doesn't mean anything. Where he's come, where he comes from, who cares? Go out there and produce. And now Anthony Volpe is going to have a chance to do that at the major league level after earning the job this spring training. Coming in, uh, Peraza was the clear favorite. It was his job to lose. He lost it. Volpe took it from him. And those are things that you want to see. And you also want to see not only the kid that had the high expectations and one of the top prospects fulfilling those expectations at the very least in spring. I mean, obviously, we get to see what he does at the major league level. But you also have the Yankee organization who deserves a ton of credit because they did the right thing and weren't worried about any clocks or any you know previously promised spots or whatever it may be or who was the favorite going in or where are they going to put him because this does now put Peraza in a weird spot where there is no spot for him on the big league team where you could have made an easier transition at least the way that they made it sound having Volpe start the year in AAA work his way up earn his way up and then having maybe you know wait for an injury or move Glaber Torres something like that and, and then figure it out after the fact. But now Volpe forced their hand that they have an issue with Peraza. What are they going to do with him? And we'll see what Volpe could do here again. And, you know, injuries can factor in, and maybe we get to see Peraza, you know, at some point due to that. But either way, it's nice to see Volpe do the job. Nice to see the Yankee organization give the kid that earned the job the opportunity. I mean, they're not doing any favors here. They're trying to win ball games. And because he went out there and earned it, they made the decision to give it to him. Now, with all that being said, great story, local kid. Again, who cares where he came from? But local kid, great story. Yankees' youngest opening day shortstop since Jeter compared to Jeter. All those different things. 
Now we're going to see what he could do at the major league level. And that's a big difference than dominating the spring. Now, I happen to think that Volpe's skill set is going to play. So I'm not, this is not me doubting him. I, we need to see it, of course. But we shouldn't overreact to even a dominant spring, even the intangibles that Volpe brings. We should not be overreacting to the impact that he's going to have. Now, excitement? Absolutely. We, we should all be excited about watching him and can't wait to see what he's going to be able to do. But the expectations should be somewhat tempered because you just don't know. I mean, odds are, I know the comparisons there, odds are he's not, in fact, Derek Jeter. He may not, in fact, be the greatest shortstop that ever lived. You know, arguably, obviously, in Jeter's case. Odds are he's not going to be you know, that good out of the gate. Now, maybe he will be, and we'll see. So Volpe, though, has to earn it at the major league level. Now, here's the other angle that I feel like is getting lost here with all this Volpe hype. And I, I get the good feel here, and I'm not here to try to put anybody's mood down. However, the Luis Severino lat issue is a bigger issue for this Yankees team and a bigger concern than Volpe getting the nod at short. You know, the Yankees' starting rotation was supposed to be going into the year one of, if not the best, in Major League Baseball. It has been ravaged by injury to a point where, remember, they had depth. We right now don't even know who their fifth starter is. I mean, Johnny Brito? What? Garrett Cole, you don't worry about. Thank goodness Cortez is healthy. Then you have a rotation with both Domingo Herman and Clark Schmidt in it already. That is a, a worrying feeling from the Yankees' perspective for a team that was built on this rotation. I know how good their lineup could be with Judge and Stanton, obviously, and Rizzo, LeMay, all the guys. We know the Yankees are loaded offensively. And, and even without Harrison Bader, you know they'll figure it out in the outfield and move Judge around a little bit and have Stanton play the outfield more often, left field you know, with Cabrera getting maybe most of the time or Hicks getting an opportunity, whatever. They'll figure out the outfield. The infield, as we said, is loaded. So you don't worry about that as much. I mean, are there question marks? Sure. Do guys need to stay healthy? I mean, of course, every team needs guys to stay healthy. But the rotation, the rotation is a big issue here yet again. Now, even if you are in the camp of Cortez being a legitimate stud the way that he was last year and even in 2021, and, and I do think Cortez is, I don't know if he's going to be as good statistically as last year, but I think he's legit. So he'll be somewhere close to what he was a year ago. Herman, Clark Schmidt, we have no idea. Behind Garrett Cole and Nestor Cortez, the Yankees' rotation is in shambles right now. Now, the good news is that Rodon should be ready to go in early May. That's the expectation as of now. But you're talking about a guy who's often hurt and already hurt to start his Yankee career. So, I mean, you can't, yeah, you can say, well, right now he looks great and you should be back ready to start in May. Yeah, but what if there's a setback? And then it goes further. Montas, you know, he's worthless anyway, but he's out. And now with Severino, who this is a huge year for him in a walk year, and he's always hurt, dealing with the lat issue, you know, this is a problem. The Yankee rotation going in is a problem for this team. And you look at, you know, the competition in the American League. Okay, I mean, 
you expect, look, even if it's for a month, let's say that the Yankees go with this rotation, they should be fine, right? You could have a so-so month. And who knows, with the Yankees, with their offense, playing at home in front of the, you know, in, in the Bronx, they, they'll win some games even with bad pitching. They'll score a ton of runs, as they always do, it seems, in the regular season. But it's not a given. Even though we know that they always have a great regular season, always find themselves in the postseason, it is not a given. And those injuries in the starting rotation are very difficult to overcome. Finally, the Yankees, on paper, built a loaded starting rotation. Going in, we felt, wow, look at this team. Where are these guys getting in? What are they going to do with all those extra arms? And now you know. But if you take Severino and Rodon out of the equation, which they are out to start this year, they're thin. Herman is good as a fourth or fifth guy, not as a three. Clark Schmidt, we're unsure of. Yeah, potential is there. We're unsure of. Now, look, opportunity is going to be there for these guys. And Clark Schmidt maybe could show us something. Or maybe one of these other guys, Brito, whoever, it seems like he's the favorite. Maybe one of those guys can take advantage of the opportunity that has presented itself here. But I wouldn't be ignoring the fact that the Yankees had guys from their starting rotation drop like flies in the month of March here going into opening day this week. And when you only have two top guys in that rotation, it's a different, you know, it's a different feel. And I know injuries happen, and we've seen plenty of teams get hit with it. Look, the Mets get hit with it, losing Jose Quintana for a while. The difference there is, you know, they're losing a, 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 a I don't know about a back-end guy. You know, Quintana is going to be a number four, number five. And I guess you could say that about Montas, but when Frankie Montas was traded for you know, last year from Oakland, he was expected to be a, a top guy in this Yankee rotation. Matter of fact, he was traded to be the number two guy in this Yankee rotation. Rodon was brought in here to be the number two guy. Severino has potential to be a top guy. And even though they added Rodon and have Cortez, Severino still were, you you were looking at him not as a number four, you were looking at him as a, a number two or three who was pitching in the fourth spot in that rotation. So while the great news for the Yankees and the exciting news for the Yankees and their fans is pertaining to Anthony Volpe, the local kid, young stud, gets a start opening day in the Bronx, which is going to be exciting. You know, the, the video of Boone telling Volpe that, uh, you know, first he told him he, he was making it sound like he was going to make the team, but then telling him he was going to make the team, you know, that was great, a great moment. I love when they do those things. Camera angle could have been a little bit better, but nonetheless, you got to see Volpe and his raw excitement, and he said his heart was beating really fast, and you know, I'm sure he's going to be nervous but excited. And I know Yankee fans, you know, fans love, and this will lead us to our next topic, Fans love the young prospects. Nothing more than the young prospects, whether it's the kid that you draft in the NFL, first-round pick, second-round pick, whether it is the prospects in baseball. Fans love nothing more than to see these guys that they've heard about for years get an opportunity with the big club. And the Yankee fans are going to have that on opening day with Anthony Volpe. That is great. But the bigger issue 
is who's pitching for this team with now the loss of Severino as well. And they lose, you know, a significant amount of their rotation, three-fifths of their starting rotation coming into the year. Sevi, Montas, Rodon, those guys are all down. And at least for a month until Rodon gets back, at least for a month, it's going to be a little shaky for that Yankee rotation. How will it hold up? And remember, this is not a perfect team going in. Whether you worry a little bit about the bullpen and who's going to close these games out on a consistent basis, whether you worry about you know guys staying healthy in that lineup or young guys performing or old guys performing in the case of Josh Donaldson. I know Boone thinks he's going to have a big year. Heard him on with the Talking Yanks podcast, which, by the way, is going to be a must-listen every week with Aaron Boone. Those guys are great with him. Jake and John Boy. And, you know, Boone answered all the questions about what he's going to do with the lineup and talking about how he thinks Donaldson's going to have a big year. But there are still some questions there. But that rotation has taken a hit here. Not saying the season's over, not going to make the postseason. I'm just saying for now, that is a bigger deal. The Yankees' rotation is a bigger deal than Volpe getting the call up to be the Yanks' opening day starting shortstop. Speaking of the young kids, quite the opposite on the other side of town with the Mets as they don't bring up any of the big guys, big prospects to start the year. And I know fans are unhappy about it. Relax, relax. There's plenty, plenty of season to bring these guys up, and eventually they will if needed, and maybe not even if needed, maybe just in general. But for now... Beatty, Vientos, these guys are not going to make the opening day roster for the Mets. 877-337-6666. We'll get to your calls on the other side, and we'll get to the Mets and some other stuff at some point. You got the Knicks, you got the Rangers. But opening week in Major League Baseball, just a few days away now, on Thursday, both the Mets and Yanks will open up. The rosters are, you know, have taken shape here. We're starting to see what they're going to look like on opening day. We know on opening day they won't look the same, you know, in October as they do now, but still exciting to see and get, you know, pumped up about what should be good seasons for both these local teams with the Mets and Yanks. 877-337-6666. Your call's on the other side. Just getting started on this Monday morning. Sal Licata on the fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Your official station to talk Giants. The Fan, 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Download it today. find a pot of gold to strike it rich this March. Instead, win money on your tournament wagers with Superbook Sports. Superbook features the best team of odds makers in the business, so they're the safe bet when it comes to sports gambling. You have a direct line of their experienced staff behind the counter in Las Vegas. They also have one of the most extensive betting menus around. So no matter what you want to wager on come tournament time, Superbook is sure to have it. Download the Superbook app and start winning Today, visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. We started the show talking about Anthony Volpe and the Yankees, 877-337-6666. We'll get into the Mets here where they make their decision, and it should come as no surprise, sending Brett Beatty down, sending Ronnie Mauricio down. I mean, you know, with a veteran team like the Mets, you can, and Fleeks and I have been doing this for months, predicting their roster, you know what it's going to be. If there were no injuries with Darren Roth, he was going to be on the big club, and you know, he and be that right-handed DH. It was either going to be him or Vientos, and or at least it, it felt like that was going to be the case to to take that spot. And if Roth were hurt, it'd be Vientos. If not, uh, if not, it's going to be Darren Roth and Daniel Vogelback getting an opportunity. Now, the question to me becomes. And, and Fleeks, by the way, you could correct me if, if I'm wrong on this one. Did they officially decide it's rough over LaCastro, or that's the final decision that they have to make as far as the position players go? No, that's the final decision that right. – I don't know. Did you see what Epler said Saturday and then Buck said Sunday? No, what? They conflicted? So a little – well, in my mind, yes. So on Saturday when Epler was talking about sending down Beatty and Vientos, he was right. asked point blank, uh, does this mean Darren Ruff made the roster? And he said – you know, we're not going to make that uh, commit to that. We'll be able to decide and make an announcement at 11.59 a.m. Thursday. And then okay. on Sunday, Buck was asked about Ruff's uh, wrist injury, and he said, uh, you know, the wrist is fine. He had the injection earlier in camp. He's been much better. He hasn't been on the report in a while, so no concerns about the wrist. Okay, so I will just tell you that there – I don't want to say that there are concerns, but that the health of Ruff – is basically day-to-day. So that's probably what they're waiting on. Now, I am surprised in that event that if Ruff is not healthy, let's say, it wasn't Vientos as opposed to, you know, LeCastro potentially. I guess that's what they're waiting for, just to make sure that Ruff is 100% healthy and ready to go. And if he's not, they're going to go with LeCastro as opposed to Vientos, which to me is... I'm just a little surprised because then you you, you figure out Ruff or Vientos could do the same things Ruff could do. It's basically back up first base for Alonzo, be that right hand to bat. Anyway, it's really insignificant in the short term. My big question is how long of a leash does Vogelback and Ruff get? Vogelback had a bad spring. Ruff is rough. The, the combination of the two wasn't good enough last year. How long of a leash do those guys get? 
before either Beatty or Vientos come up because, remember, you could sit there and say, well, Beatty at third base, yeah, you know, and the Mets already have Escobar. Yeah, but Escobar could play DH. I mean, they could use DH as a spot where they can move guys around, you know, get McNeil a day of rest and have, um, you know, have him DH if you would like, and well, I guess they're not going to put Escobar at second base at this point. It's either third base or, or DH for him. But, I mean, look, hell, he wanted to play outfield in the WBC. Why not move him around a little bit? But whatever. Use that DH spot as a spot where you could give guys a rest, whether you want Beatty to do it, whether you want Escobar to do it. But if you want to have those two guys in the lineup at the same time, you can conceivably do that. And Escobar at DH is, to me, better than Ruff and Vogelback if Beatty is the everyday third baseman. So that is a spot where you can see change coming sooner than later. It's just a matter of how long's the leash. It's going to be like it was last year where the Mets gave that job to Cano. Then they gave the opportunity to J.D. Davis and Dom Smith. I mean, this year it's going to be the opportunity given to likely Ruff and Vogel back to start. How long of a leash is it going to be? Because that, I think, will expedite Beatty or Vientos, either one of those guys depending on how they, you know, are they looking strictly just DH? Are they looking right-handed bat? Or are they looking, okay, we're ready to bring Beatty up now. He's earned it. His game is complete. No more holes. He's going to be up here to stay. Those are the, the decisions that the Mets are going to have to make here. But probably not until I would think at least a month into the season. But it's not a big deal. I mean, I know we want to see Beatty right now as fans. Everybody wants to see We talk about with Volpe. Everybody wants to see the young players. But it's not imperative that that is the case, especially right out of the gate. April, and especially now in Major League Baseball, where things are different. Things are different nowadays. Guys don't play every day anymore. Regular season doesn't mean as much. I mean, the first month of April is kind of like the two week, first two weeks of the NFL. You know, with the expansion of the games in the NA, in the NFL and the lack of um you know preseason it's like those first couple of games you get in a feel for what the teams are going to be really the first 4 weeks of the season before you start finding out what kind of team you have and with baseball obviously baseball's a much longer season and in the NFL even though the games it may take a little while to, for the team to take shape they mean a lot more but in baseball the regular season has been you know, devalued to a certain extent. 877-337-6666. Jerry is calling from Somerville, New Jersey. What's up, Jerry? Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks for calling. uh, You know, I think there's mixed feelings going into the season, some people more positive than others. Um, One of the things that I've been thinking about the team is that now with DeGrom gone, I don't even know who the face of this team is. And there's so many players, so many hitters especially, who are right on the brink of being in that superstar level, like four or five guys but who just aren't the superstar. Like, you look at the Phillies, you've got Harper, you've got Turner, and you know no matter what, those guys are going to hit. Without the Mets having that guy, I feel like, if, I don't know, if I look man-to-man Mets versus Phillies, they're so even, and they're going to have those guys at the end of the season. And I guys, what's to say they're not going to collapse again? I actually don't think they're even. 
two two things. Number one, the Mets didn't really collapse last year. They won 101 games, so it's not like they collapsed. They tied the Braves, ended up losing the division on a tiebreaker. I, I know what you're saying, but I hate when people refer to it, and they did all last year as a collapse. Number two, I agree with you. As a matter of fact, I think the Phillies are better. I mean, you look at the Phillies lineup on paper, it's significantly better than the Mets. But the Mets are built, were supposed to be built, in the starting rotation and the bullpen. And with losing Edwin Diaz for the year, the Mets take a hit there. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat that. They take a major hit because that was an advantage that they had over both Atlanta and Philadelphia was Edwin Diaz. And now he's gone. You know, I I just think that you've taken Scherzer and then doubled it. And now it's going to be end of September, just like last year. And I know Bassett, you know, wasn't the same as last year and we got rid of him. Hopefully Senga could be good at the end of the year, but... I don't have that faith that it's going to be end of September in a tight race with Philly in Atlanta, and we're going to come out on top. It's just the I don't I don't have the good feelings going into this season. Well, I mean, uh, I, I get. I, thank you for the call, Jerry. Appreciate checking in. I I can't say that I blame you, although it is hard to take off of a year where they won 101 games and made the postseason. But there is something. I don't know if it's my Met fandom DNA. I don't know if it's Diaz going down. I don't know if it's just the lineup being, or not the lineup, but the team in general feeling older and not getting that missing piece. You know, we thought they had Correa, which they did for a moment, but apparently they didn't. And that was the missing piece or the final piece, if you will. You look at their lineup now without him, it's not very good. Top to bottom, it's okay. But when you look at it in comparison to the Phillies, I don't think it holds. Or even Atlanta. Those teams could mash. So where were you looking at the difference with the Mets versus those teams? Okay, the Mets have the best manager by far. We give them that. And you look at the rotation with Scherzer and Verlander. I mean, Kodai Senga is an unknown. The Mets have great depth in that rotation already being tested with Quintana being out. So I still give the Mets the nod in the rotation, but the bullpen, I don't I mean, you look at the names that are gonna be in the bullpen to start on opening day. It's not great. Robertson, Ottavino, Rayleigh, and I guess Drew Smith. I mean, and really of those four, three of them you should trust with Rayleigh, Ottavino, and Robertson. One of them, we don't know because we haven't seen him do it in New York, is Rayleigh. The other in Ottavino, I think far overachieved last year. I hope he could do what he did a year ago. I don't know if it's necessarily possible. The Mets losing Edwin Diaz. And you can paint this picture any which way you like. You can argue and say, hey, he only pitched 62 innings last year. 62 innings, it's not that impactful. Or say they'll find somebody else to get 30, 40 saves, whatever it is. Guys will get outs in the bullpen. Sure. However, the importance of Edwin Diaz, the the idea that you know going in, if you're behind in the late innings, you know, obviously Buck would use him in a certain spot in the eighth if need be. If you're behind in the late innings in a key spot with your big guns coming up, Edwin Diaz is going to come in and mow you down. I mean, that's what happened last year. He was a huge weapon. For the Mets. A huge weapon and a difference maker because the other teams didn't have that. 
So while you can minimize or, or you know, diminish the idea of, well, he's only a closer, 62 innings, even as great as he was, it's not that significant an impact. Yeah, technically you could say that. But in reality, oh, no, 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 in reality, the loss of Diaz will be far more significant, far more impactful than just the 62 innings on paper. He was the main weapon that gave the Mets the edge in the bullpen over both the Phillies and Braves. But you don't want to go in the year looking at it in a negative aspect. I mean, the Mets still are a very good team, and at the very least, on par with the Phillies and Braves. If, you know, it's a big if. We, we know, you know, a lot of times the Mets specifically, because the Yankees have always been built like a real team, or maybe not always, but the majority of times, especially in the last, you know, 20, 30 years, the Yankees have always been built like a legitimate World Series contender. The Mets have not. So a lot of times it wasn't just, oh, well, if these guys do their job. I mean, if John Mayberry Jr. and, you know, Eric Campbell do their job, the Mets are still going to finish in last. So they they didn't used to have the horses. Now they have the guys in that lineup to where you can say, well, if Verlander and Scherzer stay healthy and do what's expected of them, if Kodai Senga reaches his expectations, if Alonzo and Lindor and Marte stay healthy, If Robertson and Ottavino do what their track record says they'll do, I mean, then the Mets are going to be fine. But those are a lot of ifs amongst, you know, other stuff as well. The Mets come into the year missing a bat. Whether it is an outfielder, you know, Mark Canna has been talking about trying to add power, which I think would help tremendously because that's what the Mets are lacking, power. And you, those are the two spots you look at. It. If I ask you where the Mets lacking in the lineup, you would say left field and you would say DH. I mean, those are two clear-cut spots where they're lacking in the lineup. And third base was an issue last year until September with Escobar. And I think they'll be fine this year because I feel like Escobar will have a, a nice bounce-back year. And he showed he could be an impact bat, a difference-making bat at times. And if not, they got Beatty right behind him. Catcher should be improved with Narvaez over McCann. But the two weak spots in their lineup, and when you're talking about comparing their lineup to the loaded Phillies and the loaded Braves, the two weak spots are left field and DH. And they need more power there. Now, will Alvarez eventually take one of those spots? Will Beatty push Escobar... To the DH spot and play third? You know, is Beatty going to be that bat? However you want to put him in the lineup, is Beatty going to be that bat? And will Mark Canna do enough as far as the power goes in left field? Or is Canna going to be better served as a fourth outfielder and, you know, the Mets get a more regular bat that can provide some power and they move everybody down? I mean, imagine if Canna was the first guy off the bench as a fourth outfielder as opposed to Tommy Pham. By the way, I like Tommy Pham. I'm just saying that you know the Mets could be deeper. Those are the spots, though. I worry about their DH spot going in. And, honestly, unlike the Yankees, even though we're concerned about the Yankees' starting rotation, it's kind of 
just a foregone conclusion that however it works out for the Yankees in that rotation, that they're going to make the postseason. With the Mets, we haven't seen it yet. We've seen, and I know we all like to get ahead of ourselves, especially in New York, but we haven't seen the Mets win with any kind of consistency. They still have to prove themselves, whether it is Cohen as an owner, although you know obviously he's done everything to show that he's going to be the best owner in the sport. I mean, he continued to provide resources unlike no other, which is all you could ask for. Anything the team needs, he does it. But still, they, they're unproven. This is still new. Billy Epler. Buck. I mean, these guys still, you know, Buck, we know what he is as a manager, but Buck's got to prove he can win in the postseason with this group. He's never taken over a team before with World Series or bust expectations. And last year may not have been that high, but they had high expectations. And now they're even higher this year, coming off of the pretty successful 2022 season. But we can't just pencil the Mets in the way that we can the Yankees for a postseason spot. Because this group has to still prove themselves. One year can be a fluke. I mean, we've seen it in in the history of the Mets franchise. Only making the postseason in back-to-back years twice. Think about that. I mean, isn't that remarkable? 99 and 2000 and then 2015 and 2016. Two times in their history did they make the postseason in consecutive years. So they're looking to make some history this year. By accomplishing that for the third time in franchise history. So until we get to a point, that's not going to, you know, and I know players are going to change with the age of Verlander and Scherzer over the next couple of years, but the franchise should remain the same as far as having Steve Cohen as the owner and Billy Epler, who I like as the general manager. You know, maybe Buck, is, you know, is not here for the next you know, ten years or so. I don't know how long Buck's got, but some things will change, but the expectations will not. They will be raised now for the Mets, but can they live up to it? I mean, we're, this is not something we're going to learn in just a year or two. They've got to make the postseason two years in a row, three years in a row, four out of five years. I mean, you're allowed a bad year in there, but this is where now we're at with this Mets team. No more windows. No more, oh, this is their window. No, much like the Yankees. You know, they're, they're windows every year. Or that should be the expectation. Unlike the Yankees, the Mets haven't proven that they could get to the postseason Every year. 877-337-6666. What are your thoughts on the Mets and Yanks going into this season? Yanks starting rotation ravaged. Are you worried? Are you just more excited about seeing Volpe? I know I'm excited about seeing Volpe, but definitely concerned about that starting rotation. Mets fans, I know, frustrated with Beatty being down and Vientos being down. Will we ever see one of the Mets' top prospects at the Major League level this year? Let them have it. Call the fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com.
Sal Akata back on the fan. I know it's going to be a crazy time here as we get set for, you know, the the NBA's postseason and, you know, the Knicks and Nets both going to be in it. The NHL, I know the Islanders are struggling a little bit. I was actually at the game Saturday night. Islanders, you know, trying to make sure they hang on to that final playoff spot. Uh, and you got obviously opening day this week. Once the baseball officially gets underway, it's going to be great. I know... You know, people have been into the tournament. I have not. Fleegs has been uh, in a, the March Madness stuff. It just and look, this March Madness has played the way that they said it would coming in, where it was a wide open tournament. Well, it's shown to be that way, where um, you know the the one seeds going down all over the place. I just I don't know. For me, I didn't do the bracket. I'm not. I'm just not into it. But anyway, that's a big deal having the Final Four uh, all set. You got as we said, opening day this week coming up on Thursday. And then you look at the postseason with the NBA, where the Knicks down the stretch here, you know, should be in a good spot. Thank you to the Nets struggling. Even though the Knicks have lost three in a row, the Nets losing one, you know, helps them here. They now have that two-game cushion. Um, and you expect that they are going to be in that five spot, which would be, you know, an opportunity for them to go take on a Cleveland Cavaliers team that is better than they are but still gives them an opportunity to go out there and win. It's just a matter of having um, Jalen Brunson healthy here and fully healthy and keeping Julius Randle, you know, not having Randle self-sabotage. And that has been an issue. And I'm not sure what the issue is exactly with Julius Randle. We saw it a year ago. We don't know if that's going to continue to be a problem for this team. Now, if the Knicks, for whatever reason, cannot win a first-round series this year, you know, with Randall being one of the guys having coming off an All-Star year, it's going to be um, an issue. Meaning, moving forward, how are you going to build this team? You can't keep it the same way. I know Knicks fans are paying attention to the Mavericks too, because the Mavs fall into the lottery out of the postseason in the lottery. The Knicks won't have their you know top ten pick um, this year, and the Mavs are going the wrong way. They've lost four straight, so that's not looking good. You want their you want their first round pick ASAP. You know, like it to be that number eleven pick. But either way, how do you, if you're the Knicks, build this team differently next year? If it fails again this year, like what's going to be the change? You can't just run it back again and say, okay, yeah, these big three are going to be able to get the job done again with Brunson, Randall, uh, and, you know, a big three. I mean, you can even call R.J. Barrett uh, a big three. Maybe quickly takes another step forward. Maybe Grimes takes a step forward. Anyway, you get the point. We're getting down to it now where playoff basketball is going to be a focal point as we're headed down the stretch with this Knicks team and without now maybe being overly concerned about, you know, because there was a thought last week that maybe the Knicks would start to fall a little bit out of the five spot, potentially uh, into the seventh spot. That does not appear to be the case. And they do have a big game coming up with Miami on Wednesday. Knicks will play later on tonight at home against Houston, then at home at the Garden on Wednesday. That should be a game. Maybe they try to go to that Heat game Wednesday night. Uh, although who knows with the tickets and you might as well just save up for postseason at this point. Um, but the Knicks with, you know, seven games left are a two with the Pacers, 
Uh, we mentioned the Rockets and the Heat. They have one with the Cavs, a little playoff preview right there. Uh, they have one with the uh, Wizards and Pelicans as well, so that'll round out the Knicks' schedule. But seven games left. You know, they should be the five spot or the five seed. Even with Miami losing one, you know, that helps. Uh, uh, that helps the, you know, Knicks out with Miami losing with Brooklyn beating the Heat. So that helps the Knicks out a little bit. Um, you know, as far as the seeding goes, you're worried about Miami, who the Knicks have to beat to have the tiebreaker over them. You know, whatever. The, the seeding is, I guess you get caught up in the minutia of the seeding a little bit too much. But the Knicks do need to. The reason why we get caught up in it is because the Knicks need to be able to go out there and take care of business in the first round. I mean, that's what their season is going to depend on. If they will have success this year is going to be whether or not they win that first-round matchup. And they're not going to be able to do it in any other spot outside of the five because they're not as good. I mean, look, they're not as good as the Cavs, but at least they have a, a puncher's chance in that game. They're not as good as the Sixers. They would not be able to beat the Sixers in a first-round matchup if they fell to the sixth seed. 877-337-6666. Whatever's on your mind on this Monday morning. Brett is calling from Kingston, New York. What's up, Brett? Hey, I'm wondering why you didn't fill out a bracket. Because I'll tell you why I didn't fill out one. Mm -hmm. I looked at it for like two seconds. I was like, this is ridiculous. This year is going to be absolute insanity. I'm not even going to spend more than two seconds looking at it. So I never filled out a bracket. Did you? Well, no, but why? But I, I still, you didn't make any sense to why you didn't. What do you mean it's going to be ridiculous and you don't even, you're just talking about the upsets or I, I don't understand that. Oh, no, no. The, the first time I glanced at it, I was rooting for Duke, like I always do. Mm -hmm. But I saw them being put in the fourth seed or fifth seed and then all these mm -hmm. other things. And I was like, this is this year is going to be absolutely crazier than any other year. So I didn't. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad we got that. Me personally, Brett, I haven't filled out a bracket in a while, so it wasn't just this year in particular. It's just that I, I don't know. I don't. I was actually on, and maybe this is part of it. I was on a walk today with my wife and daughter and dog, and as we were walking, you know, it was a nice day out um, weather-wise, so we went to, to the park for a little bit, and, you know, Maddox loves uh, to be walked. And I was telling her, like, she's like, oh, are there any games on today? I was like, well, college basketball, but I'm not really into that anymore. And it, then I just thought about it, and I was like, matter of fact, it uh, my love for college basketball went away when, uh, you know, kind of when we started dating. But it's just true. When you are in a relationship, and then you get married, and then you have a kid, like, certain things just either don't mean as much anymore or they fall by the wayside a little bit. And college basketball is never a top priority in me. I never loved it to begin with. But I did love filling out a bracket and getting into it. For whatever reason, years ago, I just stopped or, or you know didn't get as into it with the brackets. And, and then I just stopped altogether. So that was basically it. But this tournament has played the way that a lot of experts said coming in, that it's wide open. And those are fun, because especially when you're picking your brackets, it's wide, it's fun when, when it's wide open, because you can pick some upsets. And that has happened. Now, maybe not the upsets everybody wanted, and I know UConn was a team that people were saying could win it all coming in. And now, you know, everybody behind them, 
as saying a, a big favorite. Fleegs, if you enjoyed this tournament as the college basketball, you know, lover that you are, and I always say sometimes, yeah, the upsets are great early on, but then you get down to the Final Four or, you know, down to the later rounds, Elite Eight, Final Four, you want the best teams in it. Are you enjoying the tournament the way that it is because of all the upsets now and the top seeds getting getting dropped? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, my bracket's busted just because we knew it was going to be wide open. I picked some of the wrong big upsets, but, you right. know, it's fun to watch the teams that we knew. I mean, Creighton even losing uh, yesterday, that was a team that – a lot of us identified as, all right, they're playing better later in the season. They can make a run. They go to the Elite Eight as the sixth seed. UConn is one that people were all over as, all right, they might be a little underseeded. They can go on a run. They're playing better basketball at the right time. And now they look like this unstoppable force that just, I mean, nobody can even compete with on a basketball court. So it's been a lot of fun knowing that it was going to be wide open and seeing just how quickly those top seeds dropped and how kind of, close to the pack everyone was and how much parity there was this season, which if you watch the sport throughout, you knew, and it's fun to see that translate the way that we expected it to. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious myself as the, you know, fringe or casual college basketball fan. I'm kind of like, I don't know if I like it better this way. You know, Miami making their first Final Four, right? With uh, Laranega coaching, so he's there. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, San Diego State and, uh, you know, versus Creighton in the Elite Eight. You know, these are not uh, Final Four schools. They're not Blue Bloods. UConn, sure. And, you know, Florida Atlantic. I mean, you know, think about these teams. I don't know if that makes me more intrigued. Probably not, honestly. Thinking about the matchups where it's like, okay, yeah, it's a great story and it's cool, but let's say that it was Duke, Kentucky, or North Carolina, or Kansas. I know that, you know, like we talk about with the Blue Bloods. I feel like that makes it more you know, more interesting to me. I like having underdogs make it. I like having upsets happen. But for the casual college basketball fan who's not locked in throughout the tournament, I feel like I'd probably be more interested in a Final Four, you know, with Syracuse, whoever, with, with the, the big name teams. So, hey, look, it's March Madness. It's, it's great. The brackets, the betting, and all that stuff. It's a weird time of transition with the Blue Bloods because obviously, you know, Roy Williams out at UNC and they had the magical run last year but weren't even able to make the tournament this year. Coach right. K's out at Duke, so the first year without him, they're good, but obviously they're not at the same level. Now, Bayheim out at Syracuse, so a lot of those Blue Bloods, there's going to be a little bit of an overhaul, but the, the one thing that people who watch the sport said to be on the lookout for in the tournament, we always talk about guard play and experience now that we kind of know the one-and-done guys if they're there, they don't win in the tournament. And teams like Miami, San Diego State, these are Miami had a run last year. They go even farther this year with a lot of the same guys returning. San Diego State, that was a team that in the COVID year has a lot of the guys that were, it was a really good team that year. Now they come back three years later and they make a run. So it's fun if that, if you watch the sport more often and you see these guys and you get to know them over three, four years and just right. kind of seeing them grow into being able to make these kind of runs and seeing teams and coaches build and grow together, especially like Larry Nag has done at Miami with this group. How did we, how did our buddy Jackson Heil do? We had him in, what was that, last week or two weeks ago before the tournament to preview. I, I thought he was okay to start. Do you remember, Fleegs, how he did with his uh, with his predictions? I don't remember. I remember he loved teams. San Diego State. Remember, that was his big play. His best bet was San Diego State in the first round, and they had a miracle cover against Charleston. Yeah. But I don't know how much farther. I think he wa said how he kind of wanted to take them over Alabama, but 
he wasn't going to do it. He got cold feet, but he was pretty high on San Diego State, and I think he had Houston. I remember he was kind of high on oh, UConn. Yeah, he said if had, UConn yeah. got past, he was worried about, I think, VCU, that matchup, if they played them in the second round. He said if UConn gets past that, they could go to the Final Four, so he was right about that, and they never had to worry about VCU. Who do you, who was your champ going in? Uh, I picked Alabama in one, and then I had uh, Texas in another. So Texas got dropped today. Like, do you think out of these outside of UConn? Because I'm assuming UConn would be picked by some, especially people you know from this area who maybe went to UConn or UConn fans, whatever. So I, I could see many people picking UConn to go on a surprising run to win a championship. You think anybody else has any of the other Final Four teams winning at all? I would think there are going to be people out there with Miami, and I'm kicking myself because I had Miami going to the Final Four last year, and they went to the Elite Eight. They came up short against Kansas, and it's almost the same team, and I just kind of scared away from them this year because I worried about a potential matchup with Houston, and when they played the Cougars, you know, they beat the daylights out of them. So I backed off on Miami, but I would imagine there are a lot of people who looked at what they did in the tournament last year, look at a guy like Isaiah Wong and said, you know what? I'll give the Hurricanes a shot as a five seed. So that would be the one along with UConn where I wouldn't be surprised if people had them going far in brackets. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's a just... five seed. It's, you know, nobody has Florida Atlantic, but a five seed <laughs> in San Diego State and especially Miami because they play in the ACC, people might have seen them more often. Wouldn't shock me if people had them. The experts, though, nailed it because everybody who was saying this is a wide-open uh, tournament, it was exactly uh, true. I mean, it, it has been a wide-open tournament. And what was the deal with Hurley? They're saying he couldn't coach in big games. That was the question mark about him coming in? Well, I thought he, he had his fir- I mean, his first two tournament appearances with UConn were rough. They had uh, lost to Maryland a couple years ago. He's just been disappointing in the first round. And, I mean, they show- this year what they've – done in the tournament as a whole obviously impressive but especially what they've done to these teams in the second halves of games they come out of the locker room for the second half and even if when the couple games were close and that Gonzaga game it was 25-25 they have a seven point lead at halftime and then they made one of the top programs in the country look like you know like just there's nothing school that didn't belong on the court with them and then you know yes he got into foul trouble but a guy like Drew Timmy who's been a great player for a long time I mean they made it look like Gonzaga had no idea, and I feel bad saying all this next to EJ, who's a big Gonzaga fan, but he knows it's like that, that we've never seen Gonzaga look like that, ever. And UConn had, just went on this incredible string of impressive performance. I mean, they dominated a team in Arkansas that people thought had a chance to make a run that has had some tournament runs with Eric Musselman as the head coach. Like They, just, they are annihilating these teams. Tell me if I'm crazy here, Fleegs. For, again, from the you know fringe college ba- or casual college basketball fan, would watching a tournament play out the way that it did this year give St. John's fans more hope? Because it would for me. Like I start looking at it saying, well, hell, if Florida Atlantic can do this, if Laranega can turn Miami, you know, into a, a, a Final Four team, why can't Rick Pitino, who's one of the great college coaches of all time? In New York, I know St. John's nowhere near what it was, but why can't he turn them into a program that can be moving on in the tournament where it's not just, oh, make the tournament and win a game? Maybe in a in a few years, St. John's could get to this point where they are a surprise team in a Final Four or, or something like that. Is that is that crazy to think? No, not at all. It should 100% get St. John's fans excited because in a lot of games in this tournament, you see the importance of coaching. Patino's going to have to recruit, and we have confidence that he will. He'll get the right guys to St. John's. And when he starts to get that mix, 
you know, maybe they could be a team like maybe what Miami did the last two years. One year they get in there with the group and you have a nice run. You go to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. And then the next year you come back and you're able to really make that push for a championship. Yeah, I mean, that's what you'd like to see here. I, that would get me into it if St. John's is in the tournament. The St. John's UConn a- rivalry. I mean, again, it's never going to yes. be the Big East. Syracuse is gone. Georgetown has, every, I mean, a million miles to go to get back to what they were. But St. John's UConn, UConn is already there. St. John's is going to be there. So that part, at least of the Big East, and locally, especially how it's going to hit in the city, and a lot of UConn alums around, that will be here very, very soon. Yeah, see, and that gets me excited because much like the WBC where I talk about, well, what's, where, why am I caring about this? Where's the rooting interest? And in this year's tournament, you know, okay, yeah, I'll root for the Ivy League a little bit, but it really doesn't matter. With St. John's, UConn, if they had a nice rivalry, I'm interested in that. I care about the results of that. So maybe that can revive, uh, you know, not only college basketball in, well, college basketball is fine in this town, but if St. John's is good, it puts it on another level, and maybe that'll get the casual fan like me to pay more attention to it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 